we're in a brand new series today, and today is um, today's going to be an introduction and a little bit of a poke to get us started, um, but odds are you're going to leave here this morning with more questions than you showed up with, because hopefully I make you think about some things that you haven't really thought too much about before. Um, and when I, was, uh, when I was in schooling, you know, getting ready to go into ministry and be a pastor, um, during one of the classes, somebody raised their hand and was like, how do you um, come up with or figure out what you're going to talk about every week? Um, and the person who was teaching us said, well, if you speak to your own faults, you will never run out of material. Which is how I've generally come across the things that we talk about as I look at the things that I struggle with and don't do well. Um, and this series uh, is absolutely no um, exception. Um, uh, from... from from, from the beginning to the end, I am really speaking to myself. And so hopefully the rest of you can get something out of it as I preach to myself. Um, but holidays are coming. Um, I know I've seen some countdowns on Facebook of how many days are left till Christmas. I, don't, I can't remember who sends me those, um, but I've, I've seen that. That's just kind of depressing to me, but okay. But uh, holidays um, means family and family for many of us is tough, right? And the thing that makes this whole idea of the difficulties of family um, a, a difficult subject to talk about is the wide diversity of experiences in people with family. I mean, even in, within this room, if we were to like tell us all about your family dynamics and history and past and all of that, there's gonna be a lot of different experiences. Some of you are um, in blended families. Some of you are from blended families. Some of you are in second marriages, maybe between marriages. Some of you um, are raising kids. Some of you may be raising someone else's kids. Some of you have adopted. Some of you may be doing foster care. Um, some of you come from divorced parents. Some come from non-divorced parents. Some come from they probably should have gotten divorced parents. Um, there's just a whole array of, of dynamics within families and the experiences that you can have. And it's so diverse that the conversation around it is really challenging because everybody's got their emotions tied to it, but yet it's relevant. So I thought really hard, like I need to come up with something that everybody has in common when it comes to family, right? With as many different experiences as we have, what are things we have in common? I came up with two things. One is this. When it comes to our family of origin, we had no choice in the matter, right? <laughs> I mean, you got here and you had nothing to say about it. You had no choice. It just kind of happened. You get to, in fact, as you break it all down, there's really only one family member in life that you ever get to choose, right? And that's your spouse. All the rest, you don't get a choice in, right? You get to, that's the one family member that you get to choose. So choose wisely. I think I've done pretty good. Like, I, I think I've picked a good one. I mean, we're only about 17 years in, so we'll wait and see how it goes. <laughs> but I think I've done good, right? And how many of you, like, when you were in middle school, knowing that you had no choice in your family of origin, how many of you had, like, friends, and you looked at their families, and you were like, oh, I wish I had been in that one. Anybody? Yeah, man, like, as I went over to, like, friend's house, and I'd be like, oh, man, their parents are so cool, 
Like their dad's a lot of fun to be around. Like they didn't seem to have many rules. They got to eat cereal for dinner. They just wore their clothes to bed, didn't have a bedtime. Like, ah, why couldn't I have been in that family? My family's so lame. Oh, like how many of you had the lame family? Yeah, right. But uh, yeah, man, we, we, didn't, we didn't have video games really growing up. And so we, my, me and my brother, we tried to get to our friend's house as often as possible. We didn't care about our friends. We just wanted at the controller. That was the way that it works. And, and that's because our family is difficult. All right, we look around at other people's families and we, we see like best behavior of families and we see what they present as a family. But our family, we see all this stuff behind the scenes, right? And so our family is difficult. And our family's hard to work with. And our family just kind of sucks sometimes. And we're just like, I wish I could have been in another family, right? And, and another thing about this idea is that, like, the word father is not an emotionally neutral word to people. Like, so when you start talking about family members and you put up the titles, like, father, like, you know, Jesus refers to God the Father. And it's like, you know, God welcomes us to call him Father. And some of us, we hear that and we're like, yeah, Father for me is not a good thing. I don't have a good experience. That doesn't bring up good emotions. When, when you're talking about, when you, when you say mother or brother or sister, aunt, uncle, these all have, these aren't emotionally neutral terms. They bring up emotions based on our experiences, which for many of us are some really difficult experiences. And, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to think of God tied to like the bad dad that we had. And we don't want to, we, we don't want to deal with some of the emotions, especially as you kind of get passed out of the household and, you know, you're not with your parents anymore. Sometimes you want to just bury that kind of stuff. But whenever you bring those up, there's, there's information, there's background, there's joy, there's sorrow, there's good memories, bad memories, chaos, anger. There's all of these things that just come up when you're talking about family. The, the second thing that I came up with that we all have in common is this, is that no one you are related to is as smart as you are. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? We all, we all have that. We all have that. At some point along the way, you've had the thought, man, if everybody would just do things like I tell them to do them, it would be good, right? Everything would be going smooth. We wouldn't have these issues, right? And for most of us, this started somewhere around middle school when we decided we were smart and we thought that we knew everything. We're right. And, and, you know, and most of us feel like if we could just get somebody to hand us a mic at a family reunion, and uh, give me about 30 minutes, I could straighten the whole thing out, right? You just grab it. You need to be nicer. You need to go back to school. You need to stop dating them. You need to stop drinking so much. You need to stop being an obtuse racist. You need to just think of somebody else for your, you know, for a change. And we're like, you know, let me at it and straighten them up, right? <laughs> then at other stages of life, it's the opposite. Right? So many times, so, so, so many times I do something and when I'm done, I think, oh, I should be better than that. Anybody have those experiences? Oh, I should know better. I should respond better. I should have had more grace in that situation. I should have had more patience. Now, here's where, here's where the whole thing gets kind of challenging because when you open up the scriptures, to see what it says about family, it, it, it's really sort of odd because 
there are not really very many good examples of family in the scriptures. As you go through the scriptures, you know, there's, there's not that mega narrative about the whole big happy family that just kind of traverses over the entire set of scriptures. It, it, it's not really there. I mean, I mean, look, the entire snapshot we get of Jesus' youth is what? Hey, have you seen Jesus? No, have you seen Jesus? Oh, we forgot him. <laughs> End of Jesus' adolescence. Like there's not a model of like, oh, well, if Jesus was a perfect son, it must've been easy to be his parents and to have a good family structure. And so let's see some examples of that. Nope, not there. It doesn't exist, right? And if you think about like how the whole thing got started, you know, you look back in the Old Testament, it didn't go too well. God sets Adam and Eve up in like the perfect environment, right? If anybody was gonna be able to succeed and not screw things up, it would have been them because they weren't starting from a place of a screwed up world. And they screwed that up before kids even showed up on the scene. Because for so many of us, like the kids are the excuse, like, oh, it was all great till the kids showed up and messed up everything. And if you're a kid in here, we never say that. I'm just doing that for effect right now. But kids weren't even on the scene, right? And they messed it up. First recorded homicide in history between brothers. That's how that goes. So when you look at the Bible and what it has to say and the examples of family that it gives, not great. My gosh, go through the Old Testament. We've got brothers dumping brothers into wells and selling them into slavery. We've got the first civil war in the history of Israel was between father and son. And when you read the story, especially of that, that battle between David and his son in the civil war, you read that and you think, wow, like that conflict that really could have been resolved if they'd have just kind of got together and talked about it. So many people didn't need to die. There didn't need to be this giant split in the kingdom. And then this kind of fascinating thing happens when you kind of work past the Old Testament with all of its messed up family stories and you get to the New Testament and, and, and I'm not sure I can explain this in such a way that it's really gonna give validity to the weight that this carries. Um, so take whatever I'm getting ready to say and then make it a lot cooler. Um, the New Testament, when Paul, when Paul takes the teachings of Jesus and he begins to take them out into Roman and Greek culture around the Mediterranean rim. And he, and he starts talking about these ideas of how family was kind of supposed to work. Like you've got to understand that these ideas at that time and in those cultures were so foreign, right? They were so new. No culture to this point had ever tried the things that Paul is talking about, which are based on the teachings of Jesus. There had never been a culture built around those things. And those things were a reflection of the teaching of Jesus that specifically added value, not so much to men because men carried a lot of value in the culture, but specifically added value to women and children within the whole structure. And so when Paul starts talking about these ideas, it's just, people are just kind of like, whoa, what? And when I kind of go through and look at the overview of the New Testament and, and what it has to say about family, and when I kind of tell you these things, you're gonna hear some of these things and, and your thought is gonna be like, well, isn't that kind of old fashioned? Like you're not telling us anything new. We kind of know that. And, and yes, that's true for us that like, yeah, some of these ideas may seem old fashioned, but man, 
I can't fully communicate how in the first century when these ideas were established, they were new and they were revolutionary and they were disturbing. And these teachings have so permeated American culture that we just kind of think of a lot of them as common sense. They don't really stand out to us. But this is, this was, especially what was said about women and children, this was groundbreaking because this was a culture where women barely had more value than cattle. I mean, they had a little more, but don't start thinking too highly of yourself, right? This is where children wouldn't even be named for several years after birth because they didn't wanna bother if they weren't gonna live. And the mortality rate of children was so high in that time. So it took years into a child's life before they even gained an identity. This was the system. And in fact, parents wouldn't even leave their inheritances to their kids. The way the system worked is if the parents didn't like their kids, which was often, they would just go and find an adult that they liked, would adopt that adult, and then leave all of their stuff to that adult. (laughs) To which some of you are like, hmm, is that a possibility? No, no, I don't suggest you going out and adopting someone to leave your inheritance to. Some of you are like, inheritance? (laughs) You're telling jokes. Um, (laughs) But we read through these verses and we're just like, "Eh, whatever, whatever. But when Jesus paused in the middle of his teaching and said, bring the children unto me, we read that and we just think like, oh, how cute. Jesus was being nice, you know, with the kids or whatever. But the adults around him were appalled. They're like, wait, you're letting children come and, is, and, and, and inhabit the, the space of an adult? But Jesus was like, no, 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 no. You guys don't understand the kingdom of heaven. It was like these children. So then Paul comes along and, and in his writings to, to many of the churches and in his ministry to the Greek and Roman world, he elevates the status of women and children. And they had never seen a culture that valued women and children. And this was mind boggling and it was unsettling and it was disconcerting for a lot of the men. But he gave hope. And the basis was, is that when Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross for all people equally. He didn't go for one group of people over another. And here's, here's, here's the whole series in the nutshell, in case you don't wanna come back. <clears throat> in case you get so frustrated by the end, you're just like, eh, eh. Here's, here's the whole thing. Kids obey your parents. Parents don't irritate your kids. Spouses love one another. That's the nutshell version of kind of how it's gonna go. So let's just close in prayer and be done with it. Dear Heavenly Father. <laughs> now here, here's, the, here's the thing. And this is a little common sense, but it's very idealistic. It's a little common sense, but it's very, very, very idealistic. And what this brings us to as we get into this, what this brings us to is a tension that exists. And it's going to be the context, this tension. It's going to be the context for the things that we talk about over the next several weeks. Because you don't come from an ideal family. None of us come from an ideal family. And those of us who have created our own families have not created an ideal family. 
And here's what's true for all of us. Is that there's real, like what's going on in real life, how things are happening day to day. And then there's ideal. And there's a gap between those two things. There's the real that you're dealing with and you're trying to make it work. And there's the things that are going wrong and frustrating and the people that just aren't cooperating. And then there's the ideal of what you want family to be. And for every single one of us, there is a gap that at times seems unbridgeable between those two things. And that gap creates tension. And here's what Jesus did over and over and over again as he spoke. He pointed towards the ideal. He said, I don't want you to give that up. Here's the ideal. Here's what you to strive with. But he refused to condemn anyone who fell short of the ideal. And this is the tension. This is kind of the dilemma that comes up within the teachings of Jesus. Almost a paradox, but it is essentially the gospel. In every situation, Jesus took the standard that was and he raised it. I mean, standard, standard in the first century Judaism was it's, it's illegal to commit adultery. And everybody knew what adultery meant. You're not allowed to go have relations with someone who's not your spouse. And Jesus said, yeah, no, 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 that's not what that's about. That's not what that's about at all. He said, even if in your mind, you lust after a woman, adultery, and he immediately turned every single male listening to him into an adulterer. And probably a whole lot of the females, I don't know if all, I'm just gonna speak to the guys, all, all, turned them all. So whatever you thought the law was, you aren't living up to it. You are an adulterer. So now there was this issue, this tension. All these men, including religious leaders, are standing there. And they're like, okay, well, now you've just made all of us adulterers because we've committed adultery in our heart. So Jesus, what are you going to do with all of us adulterers? Because there were specific things in the law as to what happened to adulterers. Hint, you didn't see the next day. So Jesus, what are you gonna do? <laughs> Jesus says, well, I'm gonna forgive you. I'm gonna forgive you. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. So Jesus, which is it? Which is it? He would say both. The standard gets higher and the grace gets deeper, right? The standard got higher and the forgiveness becomes richer. The standard gets higher and inclusion goes broader. This was blowing their minds. They had no idea that this, this, this tension was even possible. And this is how Jesus functioned. And it's what every single one of us kind of want to throw off, right? Because there's like, okay, there's the standards and the rules and this is what we got to do. And Jesus would point to that ideal, but he would refuse to condemn those who fell short of the ideal. Now, here's the tension in it for us as we kind of get into all of this. And this is the, this is the decision that we're going to have to make. Here you go, you got a choice to make. Here it is. Are we willing to embrace an ideal that may never be a reality in our current family? Or will we be tempted to lose sight of the ideal to feel better about where we really are? 
So that is, are we willing to embrace an ideal when it comes, specifically when it comes to family and how family structures work and how we get along with them and what it's supposed to be, knowing that we may never live up to it. Knowing that for most of us, it's already too late to live up to that ideal. Or will we do the easy thing and decide, well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna lose sight. I'm gonna give up on that ideal. I'm gonna change the standards. And I'm gonna declare that what's true of me is what's normal and should be. And so we move the goalposts to make ourselves feel better about the reality of our family situation. Now, the most profound illustration of this in Jesus' ministry actually had to do with family dynamics as he got to talking about this. And and, and this is a passage that we've glanced off of before, but I wanna read it, make a few comments to kind of set us up to give you the idea of where we're gonna be going with other family dynamics throughout the rest of this series. Because here's a tension that is so emotional for us that so many of us, we want to get rid of it. And we do what we gotta do to make ourselves feel better about it. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. I am comfortable in this tension. And I want you to be comfortable in this tension as well. And I think that so many of us have to learn to live with that tension. Here's what happened. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse three. Some Pharisees came to test him. In other words, they were not there to learn. They had an agenda. And they they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason. This was the question they had for him. They're like, oh, we're gonna get into it. We're gonna trap him, right? Now you need to understand is that they had a version in that culture, they had a version of no fault divorce that you can't even imagine, right? Here's how it worked. If a man did not wanna be married to a woman, he had to go through a really rigorous process. The process was he had to look at her and say, I divorce you. And that's it. She had to pack up and leave. That was it. No attorneys, no fees, no depositions, no judges, no third party, making sure there's a fair split of assets. None of that. She just packs up and leaves. Now, on the flip side of that coin, if a woman wanted a divorce, the answer was even more simple than that. No, not an option for you. You have no rights. You are stuck. The only way out of this marriage for you is death. Now, the Pharisees who came and had set up this question, they had heard Jesus speak before on this issue and he had said something a little different. In fact, what they had heard him say before about this topic seemed to conflict with Moses, right? Because they were, and they were always trying to separate Jesus from Moses because the Jewish people held Moses up as the standard, right? And if they could separate Jesus from Moses, then they would be able to convince the people, well, Jesus is not from God because surely anyone who came from God, their teachings would line up with Moses. So here's what Jesus said in response to, can a man divorce a woman for any and every reason? He says, haven't you read? Pause. He was speaking not only to men who had spent a whole lot of time reading the law. These men had the law 
memorized. Memorized, all of it. And so for him to say, haven't you read? <laughs> like, that's like a super Jesus insult, like being slipped in under the table. Like he was just like, mm, right there on you. Haven't you read all of you well-educated, well-read men? And then this is the part that gets important to our discussion. Haven't you read that at the beginning, pause. See, they're asking about right now. They're asking about what's going on in that day. They're asking about what is, right? Because, you know, people don't get along. Things don't work. People get older. People lose interest. People meet other people. And they're like, that's what's going on now. Jesus, we're interested in what's happening. What is, can a man divorce a woman for any reason? Jesus says, okay, to answer your question, I'm gonna take you back to the beginning. And I'm not going to speak to the now, I'm going to speak to the ideal. And suddenly there's this tension within these guys because they're like, wait, 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 wait. If you take me back to the ideal, that conflicts with you know, the real and I'm not sure what to do with the conflict between those two things. And Jesus says, well, I'm comfortable in that tension, so we're gonna go there. And these guys frame this question specifically in the the. the the context of a man and a woman reunion. Uh, and so Jesus takes them back to the first man-woman union. And he says, look, creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one, including Moses, separate. And he essentially tells them this. He says, you are asking about divorce, but there is a problem in your argument and your question. And that is, is that you do not fully comprehend what marriage is. God made two people one. When you get married, you become one. And you are asking about unwanting what God has made one. And their heads are just kind of starting to spin at this moment because they're starting to realize like, oh my goodness, we came to test Jesus, but now we're really confused. What is he trying to say? So, so they, they're like, all right, okay, we're not in test mode anymore. Now we really want some information. Jesus, what? Like, what are you getting at? What are you saying? Jesus said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're looking at the real and I'm talking about the ideal. You're talking about what's happening. I'm talking about what should be. And Jesus says, I'm comfortable bringing those two things together. And I understand things don't work out and I understand people get divorced and I understand there has to be a mechanism for it. And I understand we need to get away to protect women from men and, you know, but, but listen, I am not going to lose sight of the ideal within the context of this conversation. Ideal in the beginning, divorce wasn't the plan. In the beginning, it was two became one and stayed that way. And they didn't know what to do with that because that wasn't what the reality was. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Which is a really good question. Jesus, if you're saying this shouldn't even be, that that's the ideal, why did Moses, the one who gave us the law, who we all have looked up to for centuries and centuries as the standard, if we're not supposed to have any divorce, why did he make a mechanism for it? Jesus replies, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. 
Now that's tough, isn't it? That, that's, what do we do with that? The answer is, is we carry it. You carry that. But Jesus, what are you going to do with all of the divorced people? What is going to happen? And Jesus is like, well, I'm not going to do anything to the divorced people. I'm going to do something for them. I'm going to lay down my life for them. And they were confused because they're like, Jesus, it looks like you're letting people off the hook who are breaking the law. So Jesus, is it a rule or is it not a rule? And Jesus looked at them and says, yes. There's a tension. And essentially Jesus is saying, you dare not try to resolve that tension between those two things. Because if you do, you will lose something that is so incredibly important. Here's where we're gonna leave this for today. If you're, if you're a Jesus follower, um, Jesus is instructing you. And he's instructing me to follow him into the complexity of family life and embrace the tension between the real, what's happening, what you're having to struggle with and the ideal which nobody seems to be able to attain. So the question is, will we embrace the ideal of what a family should look like and operate like, which we all fall short of? Or do we redefine the terms so that we feel better about ourselves? The problem is, is if you're a follower of Jesus and you take his word serious, you're gonna reach the point where there's going to be something in your situation that you look at his words and it makes you uncomfortable. In fact, some of you, as soon as I started talking about divorce and threw the word up on the screen, you kind of disconnected because you've heard these words before and it just kind of brings up a, uh, and you don't want to deal with that tension. <laughs> some of you, you know, aren't really tracking with the point of what this whole message is about because you emotionally disconnected. And man, if you're a follower of Jesus' words, he's going to say things that is going to dredge that up inside of you. That is going to make you feel like that. And as we look at other passages about other aspects of family throughout this series, it is going to happen. And so if like today wasn't yours where you had that feeling, you hold on, yours is coming. Please come back. <laughs> it's gonna be fun. Yeah. But it'll be better at the end, I promise. <laughs> We'll get there. It's gonna, be, it's gonna be the same way. But that's the tension that we have to embrace. Because Jesus pointed to the ideal, even though none of us live in the ideal. And he said, don't lose sight of it, right? And are we going to be willing to look at passages where when we see Jesus' words, we have failed, right? And we've had to deal with the pain and the grief and the heartache, but we would be able to look at those things knowing that God's grace for you is so broad that you will never be able to find the end of it. Or will we have to change the rules to match what our current situation looks like? But I'm telling you, if you do that, 
you are going to lose something significant, that tension that exists between the two. Now, here's the other side of this. Is that there's a reason we don't really change rules. We convince ourselves, we change the terms and we change the rules to convince ourselves that our situation is good. But we never really disconnect the ideal from the ideal. And here's how I know that. Because in all of my experiences, I have never met a divorced person who wished their kids would go through a divorce. Never met them. I've, I've never met that person. Those who have faced the pain and the loneliness and the isolation and the desperation of experiencing that are the ones that want that ideal, want that successful marriage for their kids. And so even if they change some of the, the, the rules and the terms and the definitions to make themselves feel better about that, there's not that disconnection because they still hold that ideal up and would want that for their children. And regardless of your view of scripture or where you think the world is going, everybody wants the ideal for their kids. There's something deep inside of us that refuses to let go of that when it comes to our kids. Even when the ideal for us and even when the ideal for our existing family is long in the rear view mirror, we do not lose sight of it for our children. But it's a tension that reminds us of our shortcomings. So Jesus shows up on the scene and embraces, introduces something new. Jesus, is it this one or is it this one? Yes. Yes. Family's difficult, but are you willing to live in that tension between the ideal and the real? So as we go forward over the next several weeks, this is gonna take us some time to work through. As we go forward over the next several weeks, that's kind of gonna be the context, that tension of how we view some of these difficulties with family. Because family's difficult, but for all of us, there's grace. And for all of us, there's forgiveness. But the question remains, will you embrace that tension? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, for some of us, this is kind of like a nod your head. Yeah, 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 yeah. For some of us, when when we start talking about the difficulty of family, our hearts cry out. And Lord, this is, this, is not, this is not an easy concept to grasp. This is not an easy thing to deal with. This is not an easy thing to implement because we are so trained. It is such in our nature to try and relieve the tension and make ourselves feel better about where we are. But Lord, that is just not how you called us to approach family. And so Lord, over these next several weeks as we discuss this idea. God, I pray you begin to work in our hearts and begin to help us come to some understandings of what it means to live in that tension between the real and the ideal. And Lord, through it all, as we come across things that we want so badly to disconnect from, Lord, I pray you give us the strength to stay in it 
and that within it we find your abundance of grace and mercy. Lord, I thank you that you do not leave us where we are, but provide us a way to you. In your name, amen. And thank you so much for being out. Look forward to next week as we continue discussing being behind family lines. It's a beautiful-